service and your sacrifice and giving up so much of your life uh, to protect ours. And uh, we're so grateful for that. All right, Psalm 62 is where we're going to be tonight. Psalm 62, continuing on with our series, Comfort in the Crisis. And uh, if we ever got to a point where we weren't in some type of a crisis, we might move on from this series. But it just kind of seems like uh, crisis is the name of the game here in 2020, isn't it? Uh, So uh, we find ourselves again in a national crisis uh, to a... uh, Depending on who you ask, I guess that's the question, but uh, I think we can all make a case that uh, we are going through a time of crisis even still um, as we go through this time of pandemic and then the uh, potential transfer of power to uh, another regime, uh, possibly, or uh, waiting out to see what happens with the election. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I don't know that anybody does other than the Lord himself. Um, I think we all have an opinion on what's going to happen, but uh, really, ultimately, the Lord knows the final outcome. But Psalm 62 tonight is where we're going to be. I'm going to go ahead and read through all 12 verses of this, and then we'll cover all 12 as we go through this uh, message tonight. Uh, Psalm 62, verse number 1, it says, Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From Him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you imagine mischief against a man? You shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall you be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my salvation and my refuge is in God. Trust in in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie to be laid in the balance. They are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. And if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer briefly. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for uh, these psalms, Lord, that give us, uh, that are so relatable uh, that uh, we can gain insight for how to deal with what we are going through here so many centuries later after they were written. They apply even now. And Lord, I believe this particular psalm applies to what we're going through as a nation and also many of us as we go through different situations personally. And Lord, I pray you use your word tonight to encourage us, to challenge us, maybe even convict us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd use your word as you purpose to do so. And uh, Lord, we're thankful for the promise that your word will accomplish that which you uh, please. And uh, I just pray, Lord, you'd guide and direct now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So as we continue our series, Comfort in the Crisis, we come to a psalm in which we find David once again in a time of crisis. So just as 2020 is a year of crisis for many and for our country and really for this world, uh, David experienced major times of crisis as well. And while David didn't exactly say all the events uh, surrounding the writing of Psalm 62, we can deduce uh, based on the knowledge of his life on what was probably happening when he wrote this particular psalm. Uh, most scholars believe it was just before his son Absalom led a rebellion against him in order to kick him off the throne and drive him out of the country. Uh, there was a desire for a change in regime. Does that sound familiar? Uh, well, that's what, what's, we're, what's going on right this very moment here in our country. And uh, it was most likely during this time, as he understood Absalom's purposes, uh, that he wrote this particular psalm. And uh, we get this here from verses 3 and 4, where he says, How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Uh, and then David says, Well, ye shall be surely, you shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. And he talks about, in, about them again in verse number four. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. And that's, uh, that, that insinuates that he was on the throne at this point and that uh, they were trying to cast him down from his throne, from his excellency. And he talks about they delight in lies, they bless with their mouth. I mean, they're speaking good things. And, and Absalom at that point was trying to steal the hearts of the Israelites. Uh, against David, and uh, he said they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. They're they're hard. They're they're complete hypocrites. They 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 think that they're going to do right, and they're they're talking about doing right when all they really want to do is is what's wrong. And so this is what David was experiencing, and what led him to write Psalm sixty-two. The message of this psalm is really that God alone. And that's the title of the message tonight, God Alone. God Alone is the one we need during times of inst instability and when our circumstances are less than firm. Now, a quick reminder tonight that our circumstances, I don't have to tell you this, but it's good to be reminded from time to time that our circumstances will always change this side of heaven. We're, always, we're in a, just a constant state of change. And uh, just when you think that, uh, you know, your life is settled and your circumstances are kind of set, well, then life brings in some other changes. Uh, I want to remind us what Solomon, David's son, once wrote uh, these words. He said, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away, cast away stones, a time to gather stones together. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak 
a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. You see, things are constantly changing. I mean, the seasons in this year are changing. The leaves right now on our tree in our front yard are a beautiful Sooner Crimson right now. There is no cowboy colors whatsoever. They are beautiful Sooner Crimson. Uh, but uh, they're falling too. And uh, there's a, maybe a sports analogy there. As soon as they turn uh, Sooner Crimson, then they begin to fall. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Brother David's working on a message right now with that. That's, that's good preaching right there. Uh, but things change. And again, once you think everything is set and secure, things begin to change again. It's a fact of life. As parents, we're noticing this big time. Within this last month, uh, our son, month and a half, I guess, or two months, our son Seth got his driver's license. He now has a car. And uh, he is, that's a big change for us as parents. And uh, when he's out and uh, not calling to let us know that he's coming home, uh, and it's a little past the time that we thought he'd be home, we start to think things. It's a, it's a learning process for us, and we just kind of started getting used to having, you know, teenagers. Now we have a teenager who's driving, and it's, it's crazy. Uh, things are changing in our family for sure, and, and uh, I know soon enough uh, that, that, that one will end up going to college and, and uh, moving out of the house just as we get used to having them in. Um, so... I mean, life just changes, and, uh, and David here is on the brink of some major changes in his life, and, uh, and, and he was sensing that his life was about to change, so he, he wrote this psalm to declare some things that will never change, and, uh, and uh, he was clinging to these truths that never do change as his life was about to go through a roller coaster season, and of course, 2020 has been a roller coaster season for all of us. I mean, every week it's something. It's some type of big news that, uh, you know, we went through 2019 and it was, you know, pretty pretty mellow. I mean, pretty boring. Uh, come to think of it, aren't you looking forward to a boring year again? Uh, hopefully 2021 is, uh, is going to be a boring year. <laughs> uh, but 2020 has been a roller coaster, to say the least. And, and David's about ready to go through a roller coaster himself. And, and as he gets ready to uh, get on board and get, get on the roller coaster, and he kind of senses it's coming, uh, he writes this psalm and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, hold on to some truths that uh, I can hang on to when I'm going up and down throughout life. And uh, what are these four things, these four unchanging truths that David held on to? Uh, let's look at them very briefly uh, this evening. Number one, he uh, talked about the character of God quite a bit in this psalm. And by the way, the character of God never changes, right? God said, I am the Lord and I change not. Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And while our circumstances do, God never does. And uh, that was something that was an encouragement that David held on to uh, regarding the Lord. So in, in this psalm, he, he points to the fact that God is the source of, of five different important aspects of David's life. First of all, he mentioned that uh, God is the source of my salvation. 
In verse number one, he says, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. Um, Salvation has nothing to do with, I'm not the source of my salvation. In other words, there's nothing I can do to earn it because he did it all. He's the source, he's the uh, total source of my salvation. Verse number two repeats this. Um, He says, he only is my rock and my salvation. Uh, There is salvation in no other. Remember, it was Peter who said, there is none other name given among given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In other words, Jesus is the only salvation. And that's what David said. He only is my rock and my salvation. Verse number five, he says, I'm sorry, verse number six, uh, he only is my rock and my salvation. So he repeats it. And then in verse seven, he repeats it again. In God is my salvation and my glory. So four times uh, David here refers to the Lord being the source of his salvation. And he hung, up, he hung on to that as he was about ready to get into the roller coaster. How many of you like roller coasters? Okay, there's a few of you. How many despise roller coasters? Okay, it depends on the roller coaster for me. If it's got a big drop, count me out. I remember as a youth pastor, we would go down to Six Flags Magic Mountain uh, for youth conference every year. And uh, there was uh, a ride there called Goliath. And uh, there's, it's known for this, I mean, it's Goliath, so it's going to be tall, right? <laughs> and so it's a super tall uh, roller coaster with the biggest drop. When it was first made, it was like the biggest drop in the world or whatever. Now it's, I'm sure, not. But... Anyway, at the end of this drop, a lot of people end up kind of blacking out and passing out a little bit for a moment. And, uh, and my wife, I can't believe this, my wife went on this ride. But I have still never been on that ride. I will not go on that ride. I told our teenagers, I said, I don't care if you give me $150, I'm not going on that ride. Now, if we're bumping it up to 1000 I might be interested. You might be able to get me on that ride. But I just can't do drops. I don't like it. I was watching a, a video of someone bungee jumping, and I just get, uh, it stresses me out. I can't do, I can't even watch somebody else do that, let alone me get down there and uh, jump off. I just can't, I'm, I'm getting nervous just talking about it, to be honest. Uh, so I don't like roller coasters, but when, when Dave was about ready to get into the figurative roller coaster uh, of what he went through with uh, his son coming and and uh, casting him out, uh, when he was about ready to get in that, one thing he held on to was his salvation and the fact that the Lord was his salvation. Look, I'm thankful that once I'm saved, I'm always saved, and I am secure in the beloved. Uh, and, and no man's able to pluck me out of my hand. doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm saved, and uh, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> so you can threaten me with death, but really you're threatening me with uh, an eternity in heaven, and I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to going there anyway. I just don't really necessarily want to go today, but, uh, you know, hey, if uh, the Lord has the plan for me to go today, so be it. Uh, you know, Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I'm kind of looking forward to dying, to be honest. Because then I get to meet my Savior, and I get to meet those who've gone on before me. 
So uh, one thing that David held on to is the character of God, and part of that was the fact that God was the source of his salvation. He also is the source of my stability. Uh, notice verse number two, he says, He only is my rock. And then in verse number six, he repeats it. He only is my rock. And then he repeats it again in verse number seven. He says, in God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength. He's my rock. Um, I've seen many people who've, you know, uh, mentioned that uh, their friend has been a rock for them during a time of hard times. You know, you've been my rock. Or maybe even a spouse, you've been my rock. Or maybe a parent, you've been my rock. Uh, David said, God only is my rock. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have good close friends and your spouse can't be there. You can't be there for your spouse during a hard time. But ultimately, uh, men and people will fail us. God never will. He's our rock. He's something that is uh, stable. Um, Psalm 18, verse number two says, the Lord is my rock. Uh, David said that. He didn't say, oh, my spouse is my rock. See, he looked to the Lord to be his stability when he was about to be very unstable. And so when we go through an instable time, which we're in right now because, hey, have you looked at the uh, year we're in? Yes, we are in 2020, which is a year of instability. And uh, still with the election, that's still instable. We don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, well... The Lord is our rock during those times. And uh, this rock doesn't change. I can stand on it. And it's not going to move. It's not going it's, it's to uh, shake. It's a firm foundation. So he is the source of my stability. But thirdly, uh, David said he is the source of my security. He said in verse number two, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. He's my security. He's my defense. In verse number six, he uses this language again. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. So he's my security. I am secure in him knowing that he is going to defend me. About a year and a half ago, I took, uh, uh, let's see, Faith and Mark uh, to the air show at Tinker Air Force Base. To see, did anybody else go to that? To see the blue, da oh, you got you, blue angels. You guys were there, um, and uh, Seth was working it as part of CAP, and he got to guard one of the blue angels, and he was so thrilled to be able to do that. He was uh, being, he was telling people not to touch the uh, the the airplanes, and and uh, I went, and he was telling me, yeah, people keep touching the airplane, and I got to keep telling them not to, and. And so that I'm like, good job, keep it up. And I walk away and I'm looking at one of these planes and I forget what he said. And I'm like, <laughs> and, I, and I touch the tip of the, the Blue Angel, you know, hey, I'm, I'm touching the tip of it. And uh, when he found out about it, he's like, dad, you can't do that. I mean, those things, you know how much those things cost? I said, I'm sorry, I forgot. I just got in the, but when we were there, boy, we got to see the Blue Angels perform and to see the power of those airplanes fly by and do what they did. And then we got to see the B-2 fly over, and that's, like, pretty cool, you know. 
And then we got to see the F-16. Actually, not only see it, we felt the F-16. <laughs> when that thing flew over, I mean, it shook everybody. And I mean, if you didn't have your hands over your ears, you weren't going to hear for a couple more minutes. Uh, that thing has some serious power. And I remember just feeling like, I'm so glad I'm an American right now. I'm so glad that I'm a patriot and I, I love my country. And because I felt safe knowing that all these planes were designed to protect me and my family. And uh, I was just like, man, this is great. And uh, it, it made me love our country even more during that time. But you know, uh, as I read what David said here in verses 2 and 7, or 6, when he said, He is my defense, uh, as great as our defense here is, or in, as great as our defense is here in America, God is even greater of a defense for all of us. And uh, you think of the power of those planes, and you, you kind of get proud to be an American, you know. When you read the power of God displayed throughout the Bible, you go, he's my heavenly father. I'm glad that he's, I'm on his side. And he's there to protect me. He's there to defend me. And so David said, he's the source of my security. So as I get ready to get into this roller coaster I'm about to go into, hey, no worries. God is my security. But then fourthly, he said, he's also the source of my strength. Uh, verse number seven, he said, In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength. He said, I'm going to probably get weak at times as I get ready to go through this instable time and this uh, time of uncertainty. I know that God is going to give me strength when I am weak. Uh, Psalm 27, one says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We have nothing to fear if God is, if we're on God's side, uh, then He's going to strengthen us. He's going to give us the strength necessary to continue on. He's the source of my strength. And then, uh, fifthly, He says, He's the source of my safety. In verse number seven, He said, In God is my salvation. And my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. My refuge. Uh, verse number eight, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. He's my place of safety. Uh, you know, recently we've been hearing about, you know, do you have a safe place? Um, or do you have a place that you really feel safe? I grew up in uh, Southern California. One of the things that I was afraid of back in those days uh, was, and uh, this is kind of ironic that the Lord would call me here to Oklahoma, but I was afraid of wind. <laughs> and here I am in Oklahoma, the, uh, the capital of wind. I mean, you know, Chicago may be the windy city, but this is the windy state. And so I, I think we win on wind. Uh, and so, but I remember uh, being in my room and there was a, uh, a porch cover that we had right outside my window and it was made of aluminum. And when it would get windy there in, in the high desert, it would, it would rattle that, that porch cover. And I thought, oh man, it's going to come off. The roof's going to come off and I'm going to end up in Kansas or something, you know. Uh, 
And so I just thought this as a, as a little boy, okay, as a teenager too, but, um, and, uh, but I was thankful that I was in my bed, in my covers, you know, and that idea of having a place of safety, God is that place for all of us. Uh, but are we finding that? Are we looking to him for that safety? Are we looking to something else for that safety? See, uh, David said, Lord, you are, my, you are my refuge. You are my place of safety. Proverbs 18 and verse number 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. See, the righteous know where to go when the times get a little dangerous. They know where they can feel safe, and that is in the name of the Lord. One commentator mentioned that uh, as he uh, writes all of this, David did, uh, that this implies that he did not anticipate perfect security from danger or calamity. Uh, The commentator pointed out, David knew that he was probably going to go through some times of calamity. Uh, he, he did not suppose that he would escape all disaster or trouble, but he felt that no great evil would befall him, that his most important interests were safe, and that he would ultimately be secure. And look, none of us are going to get through this life without going through some hardships, some trials, some calamities, some difficulties, some suffering, adversity, affliction, you name it. We're going to experience it in this life, but guess what? As believers... You might be able to take away my money. You might be able to take away uh, my possessions. You might be able to take away my job. You might be able to take away all the things that maybe we all kind of hold dear and near to our hearts. But you can't take my soul. You you can't take my eternity. You can't take my joy. You can't take uh, my relationship with God. And uh, that was what David was holding on to as he was getting ready to get into this roller coaster. And so perhaps you're in the midst of a roller coaster. I guess we all are, right, through 2020. But, uh, but maybe, you know, and it's, always been, it's often been said, you're, you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to ready to enter a trial. And all of us can attest to that he, even here in this year. So one of the things that David really held on to as he was about ready to face some real instable times was the character of God. But then number two, he held on to his confidence in God. The confidence in God. Look in verse number eight. He said, trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. When it comes to confidence in God, he answered two really important questions regarding trusting God and having confidence in the Lord, and that is, first of all, when should I trust Him? And uh, he answered that question very clearly in verse number 8, where he said, trust in Him, and what are the next three words? Okay, let's try that again, and let's have everybody say it. Ready? Trust in Him at all times. Let's do it one more time. Trust in Him at all times. Okay, all times. Does this include the good times when the finances are rolling in? When the health is on track? When everyone in the family is getting along and getting good grades and growing spiritually and doing chores without being asked? I think we're talking about uh, the millennial reign of Christ here or something because that's not a reality for most people. Um, 
Does it mean when the church is growing and there's joy and harmony in the house of God, when the country is going in the right direction? Yes, we need to trust him at all times. But does this include the times when life is in complete turmoil and chaos? When you don't know how you're going to pay this month's bills, when your kids are a complete mess, when your marriage is on the rocks, when the country's on the verge of implosion, when the church is a tough place to go, when you get bad news from the doctor about your health, does it include those times? Yeah, especially those times. Trust in the Lord at all times. Someone wrote a little poem and said, Trust Him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust Him when thy strength is small. Trust Him when to simply trust Him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust Him. He is ever faithful. Trust Him for His will is best. Trust Him for the heart of Jesus is the only place of rest. And so David says, okay, when should we trust Him, people? We should trust Him at all times. Uh, remember, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Trust in him at all times. What about right now with this uh, very uncertain future for our country? Should we trust him right now? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we should. Yes, we should. Okay. When should I trust him? But then he answers another question, and that is, why should I trust him? Verse number eight, again, the first part tells us when we should trust him, trust him at all times. But then why should we trust him? It says, uh, you people pour out your heart before him, and here's the reason we should trust him. God is a refuge for us. What a tremendous reason. And we already looked at this a, a moment ago when we talked about the safety that we have in Christ and in, in our relationship with the Lord. But that's a reason for us, that's the reason for us to trust Him. Uh, because He's my refuge, because He's my safety. The Hebrew word for refuge means, of course, refuge, but uh, it also means a shelter, uh, our hope, our trust. Um, it's a place of safety, and, and the Lord is all of that for us, and that's why we should trust Him. Psalm 46 and verses 1 through 3 said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So when we're going through trials and trouble and tribulation in our life, God's right there going through it with us. And uh, it's not something we have to do on our own. You know, as we get into the roller coaster and uh, go up that mountain and chick, 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 every one of those chicks, I go, oh, can we stop it already? Like, I don't mind going fast and going around curves and even going upside down is not too bad. It's just when we go way up there, what goes up, unfortunately, must come down. I just hate the chick, 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 chick. and they have to be so loud, too. You know, can't they... Put some WD-40 on those things or something, because it just, it messes with me. So as, eh, I don't even remember why I was, went there. Um, <laughs> a very present time in, pre, present help in trouble. Oh, I know why. Because when we get into those things and we're going in the roller coaster of whatever season we're going through, God's going through it with us. He's a very present help in trouble. And then he says, therefore... This is back in Psalm 46. Therefore will we not fear. And then he says, though the earth be removed, we're still not going to fear. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, we're still not going to 
we're not going to still fear. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, it doesn't matter what happens. I mean, that would be some pretty, uh, no pun intended, well, okay, a little pun intended, earth-shattering news to hear some of this thing, these things happening. David said, I'm still not going to fear because God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A group of botanists went on an expedition into a hard-to-reach location in the Alps searching for new varieties of flowers. One day, as a scientist looked through his binoculars, he saw a beautiful, rare species growing at the bottom of a deep ravine. Well, to reach it, someone would actually have to be lowered into that gorge using a rope. Noticing a local youngster standing nearby, the man asked him if he would help them get the flower. The boy was told that a rope would be tied, uh, would be tied around his waist, and the men would then lower him to the floor of the canyon. Well, excited yet a little apprehensive about the adventure, the youngster peered thoughtfully into the chasm. Wait, he said, I'll be right back. And off he dashed. When he returned, he was accompanied by an older man. Approaching the head botanist, the boy said, I'll go over the cliff now and get the flower for you, but this man right here must hold on to the rope. You see, he's my dad, and I trust him. Uh, Guess what, folks? As we get lowered in the chasm or we get on the roller coaster, guess who's holding the rope? The Lord is. And that's why David says here, trust in him at all times, you people. You can pour out your heart before him because God is a refuge for us. He's a place of safety, a place of shelter for us. You can trust him because of who he is. But then he holds on not only to the character of God and to the confidence in God, but he also holds on to the caution of God. There's some things that God cautions us, and David cautions uh, others as well in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. He says, Trust not in oppression, and... Uh, Become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. So what are some things that he cautions us and the Lord cautions us regarding? And this, first of all, is simply this. Do not trust in men. Do not trust in men. Verse number nine, he says, Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. They are altogether lighter than vanity. And the word vanity is the word empty, and it it means nothing. And and this, he says, they are altogether lighter than nothing. (laughs) It's lighter than empty space, empty air. And uh, we can be tempted um, to trust in men. Now, in verse number... uh, Nine, the beginning part, he says, surely men of low degree are vanity. What it means low degree are just like the common man. Um, and then he says, though, but men of high degree, and that, that insinuates some type of high rank or position or uh, authority or power. So don't trust in men, whether it be many men of a common commonality or of many men who are even 
uh, have tremendous high rank and power. Now, I know that many of you have seen this or heard this many times, even this past week, but, but our hope as believers should not be who is in the White House, but in the one who rules and reigns forever, and that's Jesus. Um, I, I know we all care about who is going to sit in the White House for the next four years. I mean, we're foolish if we don't care at all. But at the same time, our hope cannot be in uh, men of low degree or men of high degree. Uh, He cautions us to not trust in men. And as good as men are, we'll all fail. Every one of us is imperfect. So our trust cannot be in men, but it must be in the Lord. And so as we go through this time, you know, regardless of the outcome of the election, let's remember verse number nine. Surely of men of surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. They are altogether lighter than vanity. And uh, as David is writing this, I'm sure he's thinking about his own son who's rising up against him. I mean, that had to be hard for him to write. That had to be hard for him to realize that his own flesh and blood is coming to try to take him out of his throne. And uh, I just encourage us tonight to make sure that our hope is not in a man or in a position, but in the Lord himself. Do not trust in men. Next, he cautions us to not trust in might. In might, verse 10, trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. This is the, uh, the things that men can do. They can come together and oppress someone to, uh, for an agenda. And certainly, uh, that's a fear that many people have even now uh, here in America, that uh, the oppression is going to come. Trust not in it and become not vain in robbery. As Absalom's might is growing, I, I, I'm sure that David's heart was tempted to fear uh, what might might come. Uh, but I want to remind us tonight that no amount of human might can match the might and the power of our God. Just ask a man by the name of Gideon, who defeated an army of 135,000 men with 301. And they didn't have to lift a... They didn't have to hurt anybody. Uh, God did that. Just ask Joshua. They didn't have to fight anybody there at Jericho. All they had to do was walk around and be obedient to God, and God won the victory. Uh, Just ask the Assyrian army. Well, they weren't there to ask after 185,000 men were killed by the angel of the Lord in one day. No amount of might can match the might of our God, absolutely nothing. One day after the millennial reign of Christ, of, of Jesus Christ, Satan is going to be loosed out of his prison, the Bible says. During those thousand years, Satan will be uh, bound in, in hell, in, in prison. And uh, after the, those thousand years are up, Satan's going to be loosed. And the Bible says he's going to go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. And you say, well, okay, yeah, but they're no match for God. I know that, but but listen to what the Bible says here. The number of the people whom Satan gathers together, the Bible says this, 
is as the sand of the sea. I mean, this is a huge number of people that Satan brings together all to overthrow Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, you're kind of thinking, what's going to happen? How's the, how's the Lord going to explain what happens here? All it simply says is, um, and they went up on the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints about, the beloved city. And uh, it's just so matter-of-factly, the Bible says, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. I mean, I was kind of looking for a little more explanation, but it just... It just simply says, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. But this huge host of people, this as, as many as the sand of the sea, the Bible says, comes up to try to overthrow the Lord, and just in a matter of moments, fire comes down and devours them, and boof, poof, they're gone. Um, they're toast. The devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. I'm looking forward to that. The, the idea here is that, look, you... You know, people try to form all these plans and have these big agendas and, and uh, work together and, and band together. No amount of might can match uh, God's power. So do not trust in it. Do not trust in might. But then number three here, he also says this, do not trust in money. Did anybody guess that one? Who guessed that one? I was, okay, I knew there'd be a couple who would guess because you're thinking, oh, it's going to start with M, and I'm reading the head. I knew it. <laughs> Do not trust in money. You're right. In verse number 10 here says, If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. And uh, for those of us who are Americans, and really in this room, uh, we have had riches increase. But don't trust in them. It's okay to have riches increase, but just don't trust in it. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 7, Paul says to Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world. And by the way, that's you and I. We are rich in this world, uh, not just because we're believers and we have the riches in Christ, all of that, yes, but also just materially, materialistically speaking, we are extremely rich. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. We don't walk around thinking we're better than someone just because God has blessed us with material goods. So that they be not high-minded. And then he says, nor trust in uncertain riches. All of us know that uh, you know, our bank accounts uh, are not completely secure. I don't care how many uh, different qualifications the bank that you bank with says, oh, your money is so secure. I, I think it is, but the, the, the truth of the matter is, I mean, we've seen the stock market go up and down quite a bit in our lifetime, haven't we? Uh, my Julie's grand, grandparents lived through the Depression, and she talked about uh, some of the things and, that they had to deal with there in the Depression. Uh, we all went through 2008, <laughs> uh, the housing market crash. I mean, they are, these riches that we have, they're uncertain. 1 Timothy 6.17, do not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So we're not to place our faith in our finances, but in our Father. There you go, that was alliterated, I just made that up right now. Faith, not in finances, but in our Father. Boom. I'm going to 
put that somewhere in my office. Eric Johnson. No, I'm just kidding. Do not trust in money. Uh, and Job 31, this is a, I found this passage today and, and it really hit me. Job 31, verse 24 and 25, he says this, Job did. If I have made gold my hope, actually, I'm not sure who said this. I, I think it's Job. Uh, it could have been one of his friends, but I think it was Job. If I have made gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence, if I rejoiced because my wealth was great, and because mine hand had gotten me much. A couple verses later it says, This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above. He said, If I make gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence. Again, we're putting confidence, we should not be putting confidence in our gold, but in God. Uh, not, not gold, but God. Remember, on every coin and dollar bill here in America are the words, in God we trust, not in our money we trust. Every one of them, even a dime. I mean, you know, the smallest coin that we have, even a dime has in God we trust on it. To remind us that that's where our trust needs to be. Uh, and as believers, we can easily get out of sorts on that one. Uh, one more reference here, and then we'll move on to the fourth point, and uh, we need to wrap this up. Uh, Psalm 20 and verse number 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The caution here is to avoid putting our trust in the things of this world and to make sure that our focus and our confidence and our trust is in the Lord, not in the things of this world. Some trust in chariots and some horses, but you know what? It doesn't matter how many horses, it doesn't matter how many chariots they have. As long as we're on the Lord's side, we're good. And uh, I want to encourage us along those lines. Number four, and last thought, the thing that David held on to here is the certainty of God. And this kind of goes a little bit along with the first point here, but uh, it is a little bit different. The certainty of God. There's some things that are certain about God. And uh, what is so certain about God? According to verse 11 and 12, first of all, his word is certain. In verse number 11, God hath spoken once, Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. When God says something once, he means it. And when God repeats it, of course, that's added emphasis on purpose. His word is certain, and it is something that we can trust. Experience can, you know, one of the things that uh, Peter said uh, about the experience that he had there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, I was there on the Mount with the Lord Jesus himself, and I heard and, and I saw him transfigured right before my eyes, and it was an awkward moment for him. He didn't know what to do, and so he's like, oh, let's make a tabernacle, and uh, he just felt like he had to do something. But when he writes about that in First Peter, or Second Peter, he says, there is a more sure word of prophecy that's more... Uh, reliable than an experience that I had, and that is the Word of God. 
This is something you can trust. Um, I know people talk about experience that they have and, and uh, some new revelation that they get, you know, and, and about, you know, the election and all that. Well, you know, I hope that maybe what they're saying is, is right, but instead of trusting in somebody who says they had this <coughs> revelation or vision from God, <coughs> excuse me, we need to trust God's word. This is where our trust needs to be because those things, you can't always trust those, but you can always trust the word of God. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. Psalm 111, in verse number 7, says, the works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever. And ever, and then not only are they sure, but according to Psalm 30, 93 and verse 5, thy testimonies are very sure. So we can trust God's word. It's certain. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. And so not only is his word certain, but his ways are certain as well. And uh, we see that uh, his ways are powerful in verse 11. And uh, we've talked about his power already. And we see also in verse 12, unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. His ways are merciful. Aren't you glad God is a merciful God? I need his mercy, and I suspect you do too. Psalm 136, we studied it a few uh, weeks ago as we went through that psalm. Every one of the verses in that psalm says, for his mercy endureth forever. And uh, we talked about God's enduring mercy, and I'm so glad that his mercy does endure forever. So he's merciful, but he's also just. Also unto thee belongeth mercy, and verse 12, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. So his ways are powerful, his ways are merciful, and his ways are just. Uh, One day he's going to make all things right, and he's going to judge people according to their works. Psalm 2 and verse number 6 says, talking about God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, In Revelation chapter 20, at the great white throne judgment, uh, those who are there, the unsaved, uh, great, small, doesn't matter, uh, they're going to stand there and they're going to be judged according to their works. I like what one commentator said. He said, he saves men according to his mercy and grace, but he judges men according to their works. And uh, that's what he's going to do. Um, God is perfect. He's powerful. He has mercy for those who are willing to accept him, for those who are willing to respond to his mercy and grace. But for those who reject it, he's also just, and he's going to judge them according to their works. So when you come to the point, like David did here for the most part, when God is all you have, I want to encourage you with this thought. You'll, like David, find that he's all you need. And uh, David, as he was about ready to go through a very unstable time in his life, get on the roller coaster of life and have his circumstances completely radically changed, he was holding on to the character of God. He was holding on to the confidence in God. He was holding on to the caution of God to make sure that he's not trusting in men or might or money. He's maintaining his uh, faith in, in the Lord. And then... Uh, he made sure of the certainty of God as well. He held on to that as well. I want to encourage all of us to hold on to those truths that will never change. 
All those things will never change, and I want to encourage us to hang on to those tonight as we go into uh, whatever roller coaster either you're on or about to go on to, um, and 